0: Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host, Mary Fran Johnson, CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media and a contributing columnist to CIO.com, where I write about boardroom strategies for technology leaders. Twice a month, we produce CIO Leadership Live with the generous support of my colleagues at CIO.com and at the CIO Executive Council. We're streaming live to you right now on LinkedIn and Twitter. And we welcome all of our viewers who are with us today to send in your own questions. We're happy to pass them along in my conversation with my guest. And I'm very happy to welcome today Hernando Salada, who is the Chief Information Officer of Miami-based ChenMed, one of the fastest-growing healthcare providers in the United States and a leader in value-based care for seniors. As a privately owned physician group for seniors, ChenMed operates more than 80 centers across 12 states. The success of its concierge-style approach to medicine recently earned it a place on Fortune Magazine's 2020 list of companies that are changing the world. Hernando joined ChenMed in 2015 and is part of the executive team and reports directly to the CEO. Among the innovative technology approaches we'll be talking about today is how and why he and his technology group built their very own electronic health record, or EHR, system, a very unusual approach for a healthcare organization to take today. Prior to joining ChenMed, Hernando served as director of IT infrastructure and security for a Fortune 1000 telecom provider. And before that, for the 10th largest county school system in the U.S. It's great to have you here today, Hernando. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me, Mary Fran. I really appreciate it. Excited to be here.
0: Yes, excited to have you here too. And I know especially, I don't think I've interviewed anyone from Miami in a while. And I know that Miami is becoming quite a tech hub in the South. So there seems to be a lot of exciting things happening just in the technology industry
1: there. Very exciting times for us down here in South Florida. Definitely uh, would love to talk about that as well.
0: Good. We will absolutely get to it. And uh, well, let me jump in. I like to start out uh, asking, how are you? How are you and your team doing at ChenMed? We're all, as we all slog through, I guess we're at the one year anniversary just about for this pandemic, changing all of our lives. How has how has that gone for you at ChenMed and how are you and your team doing?
1: Well, being in healthcare, we are our folks are really on the front lines. We have a lot of amazing physicians and, and clinical teams here at ChenMed, and and all of our patients are 65 years and older, and so that's the neediest population in America. So, as you can imagine, they are on the on the front lines of of this pandemic and and fighting that every single day. And we have a great technology team that that's helping them serve our patients. So, a lot of stuff going on there.
0: Yeah. Well, and I mentioned in your intro that um, ChenMed is a leader in value-based care. So since most of our listening audience are not part of the healthcare industry and value-based care is one of those those catchphrases that you probably understand very deeply, but maybe not the rest of us. So explain to me why that is such a different model and how that works for ChenMed.
1: Yeah. So... Fee for service and the way that it, it works, which is the traditional healthcare system, mm-hmm. you go to the doctor or you go to the hospital and um, there may be a procedure or the doctor may look at you. And then after that's done, they build the insurance company. The difference with value based care is that we only get paid. We only get uh, th- there's only a, a financial benefit if the patient is doing better. So it's more proactive. Mm -hmm. And it's based on outcomes. So hence the term value-based care.
0: Yes. Well, and each of your doctors essentially care for a smaller patient load. Is that the the implication with concierge-style medicine?
1: That's exactly right, Mary Fran. Mm -hmm. So each physician and care team, as we call them, they have a smaller panel. Um, In traditional medicine, sometimes there's 2,000 patients, 2,500 patients I've even heard upwards of 3000 patients. So it's it's very in that system, it's very difficult for physicians to really spend meaningful time with their patients. So in Mm -hmm. value based care, our care teams get to spend a lot more time with patients. And hence, that's how you can be more proactive, get to know them more, build that trust, build that confidence. And that's what makes the patient want to come back. That's what makes the patient really listen to their doctor, because it has to be a, a two way street. I don't think it could just be the physician tells you what to do and then it just automatically happens like magic. It's, it's a lot more involved. So spending yep. that that time with the patient is critical, building that trust and hopefully leading to that better outcome. That's the goal.
0: Yeah, well, I feel like that medicine and healthcare, especially on the, the physician end of it and the, the individual practices, I feel like it's made such great strides in just the last few years. I I remember when it was a really big deal to be able to email the practice and get a response from your physician. And <laughs> we, well, I think you remember that too. And we've moved far beyond that now
1: yeah I mean believe it or not though, i I don't know why this is, but healthcare is still very much behind other industries. I mean think about in banking, right? You can literally grab your phone and send money to a random person that you just met um, and pay them instantly. Yep. So the technology is going into your bank account, taking money with your authorization and sending it somewhere else. And in healthcare in some cases, there's still faxes being sent back and forth, right? so if you have to yep. go see your specialist or or your physician, and they're still faxing in many cases back and forth. So there, there's still a lot of opportunity in healthcare and a long ways to go.
0: Okay. Well, let's talk about some of the ways the pandemic had an impact on that because I know that telehealth, which I think in medicine, we've probably been talking about that for more than a decade, like a lot of digitization that happened overnight with the pandemic. That has happened across a lot of healthcare organizations. Has it been especially difficult dealing with a senior population and moving to telehealth? Tell us what that has been like for Chen Med.
1: Yeah, it has. I mean, video has been around for quite some time, as we all know, right? Everyone mm-hmm. uses whatever their favorite flavor of video. Um, and for many, many years, the, the healthcare industry has been talking about getting video to patients and having that interaction with patients. And it really hadn't happened for X, Y, or Z reason. And what COVID did is it became a catalyst to really drive that because there wasn't an option for us with, with patients that are 65 years and older, uh, 65 years and older, it does present a few more challenges because um, these are senior folks. Uh, a lot of them haven't really um, used technology as much, or they haven't embraced technology to, to that point or to that um to that level of, of, of really of uh, finesse with the technology. So that's really been the challenge helping them through. And, and there's a lot of things that we've had to do to really help improve that patient experience.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, tell us about a couple of those, especially the the way, because I know from our our previous conversation that I know your technology team itself is very engaged in the mission. You have a a lot of, you take a lot of agile approaches. There's just a lot of understanding about, I think we talked about persona-based roles in your, come out of um, how you approach technology. Tell us more about that.
1: Absolutely. So, I think the, the first thing, and this really applies whether it's to healthcare or any industry for that matter, mm-hmm. you really need, as a technologist, you really need to understand the personas, right? And I'll break that down uh, just in a minute. So, okay. if you think about whether it's you're a healthcare service provider or you're a manufacturer making um, a product, you really need to stand understand all of the different components that it takes for that service or that product. And mm-hmm. then the technologists even further to go one step deeper, you have to really understand the different roles in the organization that are contributing mm-hmm. to making that product and exa- yes. or that service and exactly what they do. Because if you don't understand what they do, then how can you provide technology that's gonna help them improve uh, their work or help them be more productive or help the patient experience or the customer experience? it's really difficult to do. So that's, that's really the key. And, and we've embraced that. Uh, As you mentioned, we, we do custom build our own EHR, which is the system that runs the the clinics ultimately. Um, And by really under, so the, the teams, my teams had to really understand each of these roles. What exactly does a physician do? What exactly does a care promoter do and then build products and give them tools and services that are going to be fit for purpose.
0: Great. Well, and I know one of the other things we're going to talk about is that you have not just a technology ter- team serving all of the business. You've actually got your essentially your own software startup inside of ChenMed. So yeah, that's how we to,
1: operate. It. It's ultimately yeah. a software company inside of, of the organization, and I think yeah. we have a very startup-like culture Uh, Mm -hmm. we're, we're very agile. We, we, we like to experiment. And if we fail, we want to fail fast. We want to find out quickly that something didn't work so that we can quickly pivot and iterate to the next version of, of whatever that is.
0: Yes. Well, it sounds like you've got a really good culture operating inside of Chen Med and especially with technology. And I've, I think a lot of editors and, and a lot of people just in the technology industry have been really interested in the company culture aspects of what's been happening to everyone in the past year. Tell us about with healthcare. There's a certain amount of it that actually has to be in person. So how? What's the situation today with ChenMed? I know you have frontline workers that have to be in there. What has changed essentially uh, for the technology group in the last year in terms of who can work remotely and who needs to come in?
1: A lot's changed. When when the when the pandemic first hit, we had to pivot to almost all virtual, both for our clinics, as well as all of the, the folks that are helping those folks and supporting them. And so that was a pretty big pivot for us. And I know that a lot of companies for years have embraced remote work. And um, it's not that we hadn't embraced it necessarily, but we're a high-touch concierge type of business. So um, the the primary mechanism for seeing our patients was really in person, right? So. Mm-hmm. They're in person, and everyone else was in person, and so pivoting to that right after the pandemic, that created uh, a, a bunch of challenges. As many of the the viewers right now that are listening in, or probably they can probably appreciate a lot of that as well. Yeah. So, uh, so a lot of challenges, but a lot of opportunity to really overcome those challenges and, and continue to to, to thrive.
0: Well, and you'd mentioned that one of the things that worked so well for ChenMed was you were a hundred percent in the cloud when all this was happening. Tell us about your uh, essentially your IT foundation and your your infrastructure there. How it, everything is set up.
1: So, as you mentioned, a hundred percent cloud. Um, I hope that more folks listening will will embrace that strategy. I think it it allows you to um, be a lot more agile. If you want to start something up and just quickly learn and and build it and tear it down and build something else and tear it down, you're not constrained. And I I know that it can get costly if you don't manage costs. So that's obviously important. Make sure that you have strong teams that are managing costs um, and, and looking at that over the long term. But if you have a quick initiative that you just want to spin up, get it going, try it, see if it works. I, I don't see, I can't imagine any other way than, than, than doing it via the cloud. Um, and then as you mentioned, I think it's really about the just really having strong talent, having strong teams, a strong mm-hmm. culture, people that enjoy what they're doing and they enjoy coming to work. And, and that, that to me is probably even more so than the technology. And the technology is obviously important. And we had a cloud and we had uh, collaboration tools and instant chatting And Mm -hmm. we had all of these things in preparation, luckily, for when the pandemic hit. But to me, really, what probably got us over that, over that, uh, those obstacles was really having a strong team that that was willing to do whatever it took to get us through that crisis.
0: Yeah. Let's talk a a little more specifically about some of the products, some of these things that you've tried. I think when we talked earlier, you, you mentioned the creation of the virtual waiting rooms. Tell us about that and uh, the technology behind it and what kind of a success it's been, or maybe whether it was one of those fail fast and move forward.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it it presents some challenges as well, right? When you build your own stuff and you have your own software, that that presents some challenges. I, I think in some ways there's there's some pros and there's some cons and the cons is that there are things that if, if, if it's not there, you have to just go out and build it yourself. Right. And so one of those things was virtual and video for patients. And so some of the challenges were things like, we don't want to have to give them a whole separate application that they have to download. So how do we make this web-based and and the team did. Uh, And then the other thing is how do we keep that same great VIP experience that they've become accustomed to. Right. So If you go to the doctor today and we're trying to get, make sure that somebody is uh, taking care of you while you're in the waiting room, they know that you're there. And and we time all of that. We measure everything and then we run analytics on everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And so how do we give them that same great experience versus the clunkiness of if many of of your viewers right now, I'm sure they've been on a call with their PCP throughout the course of this year where you join and the PCP isn't on and you start having technical issues And so those frustrations, I think, come from uh, not really thinking about the user experience. And so to us, that user experience was at the forefront. So as you mentioned, the virtual waiting room, someone can join, make sure that the patient's on, work through any technical issues. And then once the patient is on, then the physician can hop on and have that encounter. And the reason that's important is because if we make the physicians wait, then that's less time. And they're spending more time on the technology instead of spending that time with with patients.
0: Well and and when you refer to PCPs, that's primary care physician. Yes. Correct. Correct. Okay, good, good. I've just we all we all have to be alert to our own industry jargon. Well, absolutely.
1: I, I appreciate that. PCP, so primary yep. care physicians, for us those are the, the quarterbacks of care in yes. our environment.
0: Well, and related to this, we have our first question from our audience. And this is both about some of the n- new technologies that are uh, being adapted and showing up in healthcare, but kind of a bigger question about why aren't we hearing more about transformation and digitization across the field of the whole healthcare sector? And I don't know whether maybe. Uh, what are you, what's your opinion on that? Do you think are we hearing a lot about transformation and digital technologies in healthcare, or do you feel that we're still lagging? This is kind of the the big capital at W on the Y question here. Why aren't we hearing more
1: about this? Yeah, I love that question. Great question, whomever asked. um mm-hmm. So, for years and years and years, I think healthcare. I think it. I mean, this is a, that's a very profound question and that can come with a very profound answer. So I'll try to simplify it because really in, in traditional fee-for-service medicine, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of great people working in fee-for-service, right? And not to discredit anybody in fee-for-service, it's, 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 it's there. It's the system that, that we've grown to, uh, we've become accustomed to and yeah. amazing people. It. Mm-hmm. the incentives were just not aligned for things like sharing data, to be honest, right? So in healthcare for many, many years, it's like, well, why should I share that data with someone else? This is proprietary to me and I'll use it for my own purposes. So to, to answer the question, I think it's just because the incentives haven't necessarily been aligned and that's one. And then two, I don't think consumerization had really hit in healthcare. And very specifically, what I mean by that is that uh, the concept of there's an app for that, right? You can almost think of anything and there's an app for it. There's a way to do it via your mobile device and technologically. And in healthcare, the incentives haven't been aligned, so it just hasn't happened. The good news is over the last, um, over the last really, 12 months, mm-hmm. in the wake of the pandemic, that's obviously a, a terrible crisis that's, that's happened to the world, but it is becoming a catalyst because I am seeing a lot more talk in healthcare all over the place about the changes that need to occur in healthcare. And so I'm really excited about that.
0: Yes. Well, and I think it's great for us to having you here today, because the kind of work that you're doing at Chen Med, you really are out on some of these frontiers. I mean, not just in telehealth, but in the particular population that you're applying it to. Um, And then we have, I've teased the audience a few times about customizing and creating your own EHR, the electronic health record. So naturally we have our next question is about that. What were some of the influencing factors that drove ChenMed to build its own EHR? And we should also point out that there is somewhere upwards of 99% of healthcare organizations using are using EHRs today, but they tend to be um, buying systems from different vendors. I think we've all had that experience of sitting in a doctor's office even before the pandemic and watching your ph- physician trying to enter data and kind of cursing at the the computer. And, you know, it's just they've got so much on their minds. It, it usually is not a pleasant experience, let's say, uh, encountering all the data entry they need to do during those meetings. So tell us about the EHR, the decision to create your own and how you went about
1: it. So it, it comes down to that, uh, that old concept that's been around forever, the, the build versus buy. And for me, it's if I, if I bought a system off the shelf and I have to customize the daylights out of it, let's say like 80% customization or something like that, then it's just it becomes it, it doesn't make sense to do that anymore, right? At that point, you may as well build it yourself. So that's that's the first thing. The second reason, even though value-based care has been really gaining a lot of traction over the years, because it's focused on the patient outcome. In other words, if the patient does not get healthier, if the patient does not get better, then the, the organization loses. And I think that's great because then both parties, everyone is aligned towards the same goal. The yeah. patient wants to get healthier. The provider wants to help them get healthier everyone, everyone wins. And so it changes that, behaviors,
0: it, doesn't it? It changes behaviors. Absolutely. It changes yeah. behaviors. It
1: change, mm-hmm. even there's now a partnership between the physician and the patient to try to help that patient get better and to achieve better health and better outcomes. Mm-hmm. So we looked at all of these systems out there and, um, these systems were tailored to the original, to the original way that healthcare was done very, very early on. Now, the early a lot of model, them, essentially, yeah, completely different business model. And a lot of them, you're seeing that transition take place now. Um, but there wasn't anything out there that there was there isn't yet a, a nationally dominant player that that's eaten up all the market share and value based care like there is in, in other sectors of, of business. Okay. And so as a result, there there wasn't really the demand yet, which would create the, the need for somebody to go out there and create it. So we had to create it ourselves.
0: Yeah. And so, how do you go about something like that? What kind of a a platform is this all? Tell us more about it technically. Was this built on open source technologies? Is this also part of your internal software uh, business at ChenMed? Do you see yourselves, for instance, eventually making this available for other healthcare practices to purchase?
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, the technology, it's it's Java on the back end, uh, React on the front end, running mm-hmm. 100% in the cloud, a lot of DevOps, a lot of automation. And we do integrate with, with partners and vendors in, in areas where it just doesn't make sense for us to build something like that. For example, sure. we prescribe medication electronically. It doesn't make sense. There's already companies that do that. It isn't any different in value-based care than it is in um, at least the the transaction part the, the yes. way that we present it to our physicians is different because we want to for example create price transparency for our patients so that they know how much their medications cost before they they go ahead and just order them right It's just a okay. crazy concept right but um, anyway so that that's the stack and and really it's it's uh, it's it's about, the main goal is really about understanding the overall health of that patient mm-hmm. and the yeah. entire life cycle from the moment that they become a member of ours and family ultimately, because we do end up treating them like family, we want to know everything about them. So it's mm-hmm. less about, hey, let me make sure that I save every single document in the patient's chart. Yes, that's important. We do need that information. Mm-hmm. but it's it's also about, uh, how are they eating? Are they doing enough exercise? Are they taking care of themselves? We engage the uh, the 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 family members, and and that, that that old concept of it takes a village, it really does. But that's what the design uh, was inspired by. Really, the the total health life cycle of that patient, and not just being a transactional system.
0: What have you learned about um, what works? for physicians and for some of the other healthcare providers in using this EHR? I, I, I'm, I'm assuming, and maybe I'm giving you more credit here, but I'm assuming that they're not, you know, cursing you out while they're typing in data the way I've seen my doctors do. Uh, so what what is that experience like for them? And how is it different on the patient end?
1: Well, it's been a journey. For example, <laughs> what we create a, we, we have a, a physician, uh, tech group, as we call it, our PCP tech group, and shout out to, to those folks. They're, they're helping us build this great technology. Um, it's a partnership, right? So it's a partnership between understanding their role, understanding what's going to make their lives better and easier for themselves, for the patients, and, uh, and then building technology that's solving those business problems, mm-hmm. not just creating technology or buying things for the sake of buying them. Which I think a lot of us throughout our careers have have uh, have been guilty of, of doing, right? And we fall into that trap. So really understanding yeah. the business outcome you're trying to achieve, yes. and then creating something that's going to resolve those those challenges and and meet that that need that that uh, that's coming from that business outcome.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and related to that, there's a question from our our alert viewers who are are listening in. And wondered, is there a danger in over customizing for managing ongoing knowledge and changes across the business because that's always the thing the minute and of course we've seen it happen in traditional software in the big packages where you end up with we used to call it when I was at computer world we called it spaghetti code, you know where you get just too much uh, over customization on the on the system. How do you avoid that? What sort of practices do you have in place
1: um, I mean, I'm going to sound like a broken record today, but that'll be okay. Cause maybe we'll, we'll, we'll look at it from different angles. Mm-hmm. To me, it's less about the technology bits and the bytes, Okay. And more about, are you achieving the goals from a business perspective that your business entity is trying to achieve? Okay. And, and I use the word business entity and not business stakeholder on purpose. Mm-hmm reason why I did that is because if you were to ask a, a mail carrier in, I don't know, let's say 19, in the early 1900s, you were to ask what would make your lives better? Their response would probably be a faster horse. Mm-hmm. And in reality, they, they may have missed the art of the possible. Now, enter a technologist that knows, hey, you know what? We could build a car. And that car could get you from point A to point B a lot faster than a horse and and all this other great stuff, right? And so keeping the the business at the forefront, the entity between the business stakeholder and the technologist, Mm -hmm. combine, combine those two experts in their relative field, and you come up with something great. And then the business entity has these goals that are very much achievable. So, so back to specifically the question. I don't know that there's necessarily a hey, this is too much or this is too little,
0: okay? Because it's
1: all about driving business value, and if mm-hmm. it takes a hundred percent customization to drive business value, then so be it. Yeah. But if yeah. you can, if if you don't need to be one hundred percent customized, and you can buy something that fits, I don't know, ninety something percent of your need, mm-hmm. and that drives business value, then that is the best answer. So the 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 answer is really. Focusing on the business value that you're trying to achieve and then letting the technology be the way that you go about doing that.
0: All right. That I think that makes sense. And I I also wanted to ask you, and this is kind of another bigger picture question, not necessarily about just Chen Med, but um, we've all seen pendulum swings in our industry where, you know, for a while, everything is outsourced and all of a sudden, you know, who needs IT? We can outsource the entire organization. And there's been, I've done so many insourcing stories over the last several years. And I feel like the same sort of thing um, is happening when you think about uh, best of breed. You know, for a while, best of breed was all the rage, probably late 90s, early 2000s. And then everybody got a lot more into standardization and rationalizing all those too many apps. You remember all the stories about people, everybody had their own server under their desk, for instance, in different business (laughs) departments. Um, What, and and it may just be anecdotal, but I feel like we're seeing more of a rise with best of breed or maybe best of suite, where you won't necessarily implement every single thing that rolls out on your platform Um, what is your, how do you approach that as, um, as an experienced CIO and business leader at this point?
1: Yeah. And, and, and I, and I, I I was smiling as you were saying that Mary Fran, because I've been through some of those, uh, pendulum swings and swings. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, that, that saying there's nothing new under the sun, um, can hold true. (laughs) I think. I I really don't know why the phenomenon ends up happening right where technology will end up swinging from Mm -hmm. one point to another but I have seen the same thing I am seeing some of that thing where it's uh, really what is it that you need to solve what problems are you trying to solve and then find the best way to solve it and if there is something out there that's just the best they do the best at it that anyone else does Mm -hmm. then absolutely embracing that technology and And, uh, and bring, and you don't have to, you don't have to uh, apply everything. I I think agile really helps with that because Uh if you think about it, um, then you don't have to have every single problem solved on day one. As long as you know that you're directionally correct and you may not know that you're trying to head to San Francisco, but you know that you're going West Mm -hmm. and okay. So we start going West and then, you find out, hey, we're going to California as you're getting closer. And then once you're in California, you find out we're going to San Francisco. And I think if you take that approach, Mm -hmm. that's thinking about the business, you're being very iterative, you're bringing in solutions as needed. Mm -hmm. And um, then yes, you may find a solution along the way that's best of breed. You may find that you need to customize some, you may find that uh, there's something that's just good enough, but and that's not really your core business. So it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's good enough, right? You don't you don't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's probably a, a good way to think about it.
0: Okay. Tell us about, we've mentioned Agile a couple of times. Um, tell me, and I know everybody, the first thing everybody always says to me about Agile is, well, it's a journey, you know, and, <laughs> and I, I think we're all aware that we're never really going to get to some destinations, but it's going to be lots of iterations, as you say, along the way how uh, how do you work in an agile fashion at chenmed and is it just in your technology group or have you got the business pulled into this so tell us how you where where you are on that agile journey at
1: chenmed that is actually a very that's a fascinating question for us because technology for us in our business and the this agile mindset this agile approach mm-hmm. has helped our business changed the way that some business initiatives are looked at and the way that they're reported out and the way that we go about taking them on. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. Um, So for us, it's about partnering a business stakeholder that really understands the business, partnering them up with a really great team of technologists that also understands the business. Mm -hmm. And so now you have this business stakeholder that understands technology because we've Taught them and we've embedded them and we've helped them along their journey. Mm-hmm. And now you and and then you partner them up with a technology team that understands the business, right? And so you have the best of both worlds. And it's less about agile, just to try to be agile, or you know, our, our goal is not to become the. Uh, picture-perfect agile environment for an agile methodology. Yeah. It's it's a tool, it's a framework and you use it accordingly and and you mold it and you make it fit to whatever is going to fit that need for you and your organization. Mm -hmm. But if you keep those two things in mind where it's about solving these common Mm -hmm. uh, challenges, and you go into it with the mindset that not everything has to be figured out up front, just be directionally correct. Yeah. And then you start providing business value along the way. Mm-hmm. I remember back when um, it used to be, hey, technology team or hey, IT, go build or buy this. Like literally business stakeholders, not here, but in other organizations would say things like, go buy me this, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it may or may not solve the problem. Right. Or go build me this. And the technology team would run off. A year later, not enough value has been achieved, or mm-hmm. at least perceived, and then they would kill the project. Right. That's happened to, I'm sure, a lot of folks that, that are listening. Oh, and and, and obviously idea. all of us have been part of that. Yeah. And so with with agile, because you're getting the business stakeholders involved upfront. Because you are trying to achieve the same goals, mm-hmm. then I think your, your chance of success increases pretty exponentially. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is you got to measure everything. I, I know we haven't t- talked much about analytics, but you've okay. got to measure everything. you got to measure in the beginning. you mm-hmm. got to measure along the way. And then you've got to measure at the end. Because at the end, if it is about that business outcome – Mm -hmm. and you know where you started, and you know where you've ended up, then you know that this thing that you've been doing for the last two months is actually making a difference, Mm -hmm. right? And so we try to measure everything as quantitatively as possible, even for things that are qualitative, as an example, surveys. Is this better? Has this reduced time? You know, sometimes it's it's hard to get purely quantitative, but even within a qualitative measure, you can become quantitative. So we set... Uh, quarterly goals. Here's what we're trying to achieve by the end of the quarter. Here's the outcome we're trying to drive to. And then these two groups working together can help us get there in a very iterative fashion.
0: Yeah. Uh, Excellent. And um, I think related to that, we've got a question from the audience about safeguarding security and compliance. Um, And this is actually specific to uh, a couple of different software platforms, I'm not sure if you're using those platforms, but there is an interest in what your security says. Since we were just talking about data, and of course healthcare data, uh, there's probably nothing more personalized or private than that. So, how are you? How are you set up to ensure all of that?
1: Um, I, I think that uh, from a security perspective, the the question is. Are we putting things in place that make it overly onerous on users? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How can we continue to have a great experience, keep folks productive without being completely onerous and being secure at the same time? Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example, right? So, your approach to passwords, if you're making it so difficult, and I'm not going to tell you that there's one winning formula or one winning recipe. Like I've said, every company is different. But I have seen this. IT departments make it so complex for passwords that you see people with Post-it notes on their monitor and their password is saved on there.
0: Still, even in 2021, we're seeing (laughs) this. It's frightening, isn't it?
1: (laughs) So obviously, that's probably less secure than what you intended. Um, that's, that's the first thing I'd say, right? So just think about the user, think about the user experience. The second thing I'd say is there, there is, there is no silver bullet and mm-hmm. it's, it's gotta be a, a multi pronged strategy with probably a lot of things in place, ensuring yeah. that you're properly monitoring and you know what's going on in your environment, ensuring mm-hmm. that you on which uh, AI is great for that, ensuring that you fully understand what an anomaly is um, ensuring that you are training your users and that they have some skin in the game and they understand the importance and, and, and testing them in a way. Um, and then having external parties also uh, testing you and making sure that, that you're in a good place and, and having that, that multi-layered strategy, I think is important. And, and also keeping users in mind is, is really, really, really important. Imagine you do all these things you spend all this money. You subscribe to the NIST framework and mm-hmm. you have auditors and you, you do all these things. And then at the end of it, a user clicks on an email, gives somebody their password and the entire company's toast. Right. And so it's it's got to be everything. It can't just be one thing. You got to think about all right. of these different facets of security and then having a strategy on how you're going to get there over time
0: a multi-layered defense, essentially. Um, Related to that, there's a couple of questions about how ChenMed is applying AI and and machine learning in its business model.
1: Great question. Um, So it is a journey. It is a journey. And and it's interesting what's happening in this field. I I just read recently in in the Wall Street Journal that, that actually IBM is looking to um sell off its its IBM Watson business yes and, and i I think as I was reading that, I think it's because i don't know if, you know there's there's been talks that AI is going to replace physicians someday i don't know if that's ever going to be the case in my lifetime. What I will say is that AI and we do we are doing this where we are help we we're, we're using it as a tool to help the physicians make better decisions mm-hmm I'll give you an example. Uh, We have analytics and an AI AI that helps us figure out who our sicker patients are, who we believe have the highest probability of ending up in a hospital in some catastrophic way. And uh, it's it's a little bit of human, or maybe more so a lot of human and some technology partnering together to figure out what the best solution is. And then over time, that technology or that AI is going to get smarter. I don't know if it's necessarily going to replace a, a physician though.
0: Well, and, and the idea that any sort of technology tool can make someone exercise when they don't want to exercise. You know, there's there's only we have <laughs> to
1: recognize at some point there are limits we're, to the technology. We're human. We're human yeah. and human nature takes over. And, uh, and and a computer may or may not be able to influence. I, I will say this though. I think in terms of like what the future holds, yes. I do see AI being a lot more emotional. And I know that sounds probably strange because technology is is binary. It's either yes, one or zero, yes or no. Um, but the programming of these AIs, I think, are going to take a lot more emotion into the equation. In in all facets, healthcare included. Uh, So as you can imagine, you know, your Alexa or your Google in the morning, you're now starting to hear it say things like, have a good morning, right? Well, that's an emotion. All I wanted to know was the time or the weather or the traffic, but now it's ending with have a good morning. And I think that that's going to continue to evolve where Mm -hmm. it's going to be things like, hey, Mary Fran, how are you feeling today? Oh, I'm not feeling that great. Why? Well, I didn't sleep good. Has that been happening every night or not? So I think that that emote, bringing the emotion into the AI, um, is is probably what we're going to see over the over the next few years, making it a lot more personalized.
0: Well, and that actually, that segues very nicely when you and I were talking earlier about strategic IT priorities for you going into 21. I wondered what had shifted up or down your list in the pandemic, but also emerging tech trends that you're paying closer attention to. And I believe your number one answer was personalization.
1: Yes, yes, Uh, personalization. If you think about it, I think technology, we're, we're a bit behind in, in that in that area as, as an industry. Think about uh, Nike for for some time. You could go in there and customize your jersey and put your last name on the back of it or your kid's name and, yeah. and give that as a gift. Um, or a shoe company where you could go in there and put your, your favorite uh, player's number on the shoe or your kid's number on the shoe. So this concept of personalization has come from outside of technology. Obviously, they use technology to help with it, but it's really come from outside technology, really more in the product space. And Mm -hmm. now I believe we're going to start seeing a lot more of that embedded into technology and technology products over time. In healthcare, as an example, um, I think that AI could be one day an emotional companion. There's a lot of people out there that that they don't have anyone else. And and unfortunately, Mm -hmm. They've lost family and technology could help become a companion and and, and make that person feel like there's somebody there. Now, we have a long ways to go in that, but I've already started to see some some companies popping up and some prototypes. So it's coming.
0: Well, and there's been I think there was a movie last year and it was all about. Um, some um, heartbroken guy who had broken up and he ends up falling in love with his AI. I think, I don't know whether it was Theory. I can't remember which one it was, but he ended up having a more meaningful relationship with his his Android. Um, That'll be
1: interesting.
0: Yeah, I know. Right. The, um, and in terms of the things that have shifted up and down your list, as you're going into 21, I know we've talked a good bit about telehealth and that sort of thing. Tell us um, a little bit more, whatever you can specifically, about your software operation, your company within the company. Um, what what are you working on and how do you have that set up? And is that part of an innovation strategy?
1: It is. It is. I, I believe that uh, telehealth is here to stay. I don't mm-hmm. think it was a, a fad or just a thing. I think mm-hmm. what, what people are realizing both patients and, and even your audience that, that isn't in healthcare, we're all patients as well, right? We all have, hopefully, we all have a, a PCP and a doctor that we see. Yeah. And um, I think video has come along very nicely over the years where it is not 100% being in person. There's still that human touch or that human element that that isn't totally there yet. But for a follow-up visit, for something that's not uh, life or death or things like that, I think telehealth is here to stay. I also think um, telehealth is not just video. It's also about remote patient monitoring and devices and wearables. And if you think about it, one of the main reasons that your doctor asks you to come see them is yes for that relationship and that trust and that bonding that we've talked about. But also because they need more data, they need more information, they need more input, right? Well, I would argue that looking at a patient's um, vitals on a watch or a wristband, and I uh, Fitbit or an Apple Watch or whatever you know, whatever version of a wearable you enjoy or a Garmin, I'll promote all of them so nobody gets upset with me. But um, I think that those devices are going to provide at some point, probably even more valuable information than your doctor just grabbing the stethoscope and and listening to your heart as, as an example, right? So that data will be there. So what that'll do is perhaps maybe you don't need to go to the doctor as many times, right? Maybe you could still have that interaction with your physician without having to go in as many times. And I think the other thing that COVID has done just in all industries it is really driving convenience. Everyone wants to be able to do something on their phone or at their computer at home. And it is driving every single industry, every sector towards that patient convenience. Yes. And I think that uh, seeing your doctor in telehealth will be no different.
0: Mm-hmm. And are there any um, specific products or things that you're working on now inside of ChenMed, something that is related to the software company within the company?
1: We are. We are. We are. Uh, we are. We're going in in that space. We, we know that it's, it's the future. We know that not everyone is there yet. Um, but I've also seen the gap close over the last few years, okay, right? Okay. The amount of people that have a smartphone now has incre- increased pretty exponentially over the last three years. Mm-hmm. Even in our population, which are uh, the older seniors that are underserved mm-hmm. economically, financially, and we're we're even seeing that that they have now opportunities to get a smart device because the cost of that technology is being driven down, which mm-hmm. is great. And so we are we're going, as you mentioned, as as a software company inside of Chema, we're going after it, and and we know that. We have to go and meet the patient where they want to be seen. And many of them are going to want that convenience. They're going to want to do a virtual visit as an example. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be able to meet that need.
0: Okay. Um, Let's just change. uh, Let me pivot over to talking about um, talent, about talent and leadership. How do you, I know we've, we've mentioned kind of glancingly what all the things you do around culture uh, as a CIO. And um, one of the really nice effects I've seen of the pandemic is that I've ended up talking with a lot more CIOs, not just about the culture inside their company, but what they've done to make their own cultures within IT essentially more empathetic. And I, the empathy has been kind of the primary E-word that I've been hearing uh, all this year. So tell me about how do you uh, apply that to keeping your people happy, to attracting talent, and how has this moderated or changed your own leadership style?
1: I love this topic, by the way, Mary Fran, because I really believe that if you have top talent and top teams, you can accomplish Almost anything, and if you don't, then you're gonna get in. You're you're gonna have some challenges. You're gonna get yourself into into trouble. So, um, for me, it's it's about setting the tone and setting the right environment Mm -hmm. of what the culture that you want first, Mm -hmm. right? And so, for me, for example, uh, here at ChenMed, we say we we want to have a culture of high-performing teams that love having fun and they love to collaborate. Right? And each company is going to be different. So setting first, set the culture that you want. The second thing is, as you are interviewing and as you're looking for talent and bringing in more talent from outside the organization, obviously, the talent inside your organization is, is critical. But as you're bringing in more people, make sure that they align to that culture that you've defined. And it has to be defined. Why? Because you're not going to be in every single interview. Right. Uh, these are things that end up getting delegated as as the organization grows. So, defining that culture, making sure that everybody understands what we're looking for, and then make and then looking for those qualities of that type of person that's going to fit well into that culture, so that the company's happy, the employee is happy, and that's step one. If you don't do that, then step three is very difficult. Right. Once you get to step three, then it's make sure that you're cultivating that culture. And I think as as leaders, if you're bringing in somebody that's high performer, uh, high performing, rather, don't demotivate them, like figure out how do we help them become more autonomous, contribute more, and, uh, and, and then step out of the way, let them do what they do best. Um, but I think a lot, what a lot of leaders do is they try to, and I get a lot of these questions on LinkedIn as well, and I try to help and answer as many as as I can, where they try to start at step three, where, hey, let me just try to change everything without setting the right tone and without making sure that you have folks that are aligning well to that culture.
0: Okay. I like that um, that way to think about it, about the overall tone you're setting, because uh, I've had some uh, conversations with uh, CIOs who are joining boards of directors, for instance, and they come into a company and they have to figure out what is the culture really like, because there's no one document that gives you that information. That's something where you have to really figure out who gets what done and how does work get done here? And, you know, who are the change agents and how well are they supported and that sort of thing. Uh, It's very investigatory, I think at some point.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, you know, I also maybe some words of encouragement for the technology leaders that may be listening out there. Mm -hmm. It's um, technology, even though, even if a company has a particular culture even if a company has had a particular way of doing things, even outside of IT, mm-hmm. right? You can go and set an amazing tone. For example, go have a great culture. And then you'll see how other business units will say, oh, wow, I really like what those guys are doing over there. How are you doing it? And yep. you'll see that propagate throughout the organization or back to the uh, agile discussion that we were having as well. You can go and show how effective it is to be agile, how effective it is to deliver things in smaller chunks on a quarterly basis, as we do it, for example. And I, I promise that i would come back to that. Um, we're seeing in other parts of the organization that's that's how we're driving as well, right? Where we're driving to these quarterly initiatives, and and uh, you know, I, I think that IT probably had a lot to do with that. And, and kudos to the team that that's been helping us get there. So, but uh, but yeah, back to culture. I think that just go build a great culture in your teams and your tech teams, and you'll see how that's going to spread throughout the organization.
0: Yeah. And um, my last question on leadership, is there anything that you have read or that you maybe listen to a podcast, that sort of thing on a regular basis that has uh, contributed to your own education as a leader?
1: Um, I love the John Maxwell series. I really mm-hmm. do. I, I, I lo- he's got a lot of books on, on leadership Um, I really admire the way that that he thinks and and just the way that he's able to break things down Uh, so much so that we actually invited them, the the John Maxwell company to come and and we've invested a lot into our leaders here internally to try to help them uh, really get to that next level in their career. So I, I would, I would recommend the John Maxwell series. I think that's, that's great. Also love Simon Sinek. I think I watch him on LinkedIn and his videos and those are always great. Uh, Starting with the why, I love that, like the why, explaining the why. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? To get people to buy in Mm -hmm. into your vision and mission. So I would say those two.
0: Okay, excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining me here today. It's been a really great conversation, and it was uh, a real pleasure having you here, and I feel like I've learned so much about value-based healthcare now, and already in my head, I have a bunch of new questions for my own PCP.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Well, I, I appreciate you having me. I appreciate uh, your audience listening in and it's been really fun.
0: Yes. for Well, for me too. And I think also for our audience, we had great audience participation. Um, if you joined us a little late today and you're thinking... Darn, I missed such a great conversation. Don't worry. You can watch the full episode of my interview uh, later today here on LinkedIn on our CIO online channel, or you can also find this on CIO.com or YouTube. CIO Leadership Live is available as and will be available by tomorrow morning as an audio podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And I hope you enjoyed the conversation today with CIO Hernando Salada of ChenMed based in Miami as much as I did. And you'll join me for my next episode of CIO Leadership Live, which will be two weeks from now on Monday, March 22nd, right again at noon Eastern. And this time I will be joined. This is a special edition of CIO Leadership Live. Usually it's a direct conversation with CIOs at enterprise companies all across the industry. But this time I have convinced my friend, the author and CEO Peter High of Meta Strategy, to join us for a special edition where he's going to share what he learned uh, from talking with uh, a whole group of world class CIO leaders for his newly released book, which is called Getting to Nimble, how to transform your company into a digital leader. So I look forward to that conversation with Peter and I hope you'll join us for us. And in the meantime, thanks for joining me and listening in uh, as I talk to Hernando Salada today. Do take a moment to subscribe to the YouTube channel called IDG Tech Talk. And once you're on there, you can find all of our previous episodes of CIO Leadership Live. Thanks again to my colleagues at CIO.com and the CIO, leadership, uh, the CIO Executive Council for their sponsorship. And everybody out there, stay well, and we'll see you back here
1: in two weeks. Take care.